prayer. You know, it's one of the most important practices of the Christian life. Prayer connects us to God. It links our weakness and nothingness to God's wisdom and strength and power and might. But you know, for many of us, prayer is a mystery. We have questions about prayer, and the good news is the Lord provides answers in his word. Well, good morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and I'm the founder of From His Heart Ministries. From His Heart is heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time right here on American Family Radio. And today on the program, we want to talk about prayer. And I've been uh, reading the last couple of days a great book by uh, Dr. Joseph Herod. It's called 40 Questions About Prayer. And uh, I was just marveling at how uh, how informative and helpful this book is. Uh, short chapters, and it deals with, uh, as the title says, 40 Questions About Prayer. And we are uh, hoping to talk to Dr. Herod this morning on the program, and uh, we are waiting for him to call in and uh, and have a conversation about these things because it's really, really helpful to understand about prayer. Prayer seems like a mystery to a lot of us, if we're just honest. Um, you know, sometimes we, we pray and, and the devil will whisper in our ear, what are you doing? You know, you're just talking, uh, you know, silently or maybe it's out loud and, and who's listening to this? Who's hearing this? You really think you're connecting uh, to God here? And uh, we can feel stupid uh, sometimes thinking, well, maybe, you know, why would God listen to me? I mean, who am I that I could talk to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? But the good news is the Lord invites us to pray. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me, the Lord says, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God wants us to call on his name. He says, you have not because you ask not. Now, a, a lot of times we'll ask questions, you know, in our own hearts about prayer. And we'll say, well, does, does this do any good? I mean, if God is God, and he is, and he is sovereign, and he is, if he's in control of all things, and he is, how can my prayer make any difference at all? I mean, God is going to do what he's going to do. And uh, the scripture says, Genesis 18, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Yes, he will deal justly. And Job 42 says, uh, Job, at the end of the book of Job, he learned that no purpose of God's can be thwarted. And, uh, you know, Job prayed a lot. God, answer me. God, show me why my life has fallen apart. And God didn't answer that question uh, directly in the fashion that Job wanted him to, to answer it. And so we, we wonder... Oh, why pray at all if God's going to do what he wants to do? But here's the thing about prayer that I have learned. And listen, I struggle with prayer just like you struggle with prayer. It, just full disclosure, it's a lot easier for me to spend time reading the Bible, spend an hour reading the Bible, than it is to spend an hour in prayer. Here's the thing I think we need to remember about prayer. Prayer is not so much 
coming before the Lord with a laundry list of, and God, I want you to do this for me and this for me and this for me and this for me. You know, it's like, like a kid writing out uh, to Santa, this is what I want for Christmas. That's not prayer. Prayer is talking to God, talking to your Father who loves you, and sharing your heart with him and drawing near to God. The Lord has no problem at all in answering our prayers. He can do whatever he wants, provided it doesn't violate or go against his character and go against uh, his will and plan. Um, But God can do anything. Uh, There's nothing too difficult for him. Shall not the, uh, or I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too difficult for me? Jeremiah 32, 27. So God can do things, and if we come before the Lord and, Lord, would you provide me a job? Boom, we get a phone call. Uh, this is this great job for you, and, and we want you, and uh, come in for, you know, to sign up. Uh, God could do things like that, but if we just prayed and there were just immediate answers, we would have a tendency, all of us, to use God, and God will do this for me, God will do that for me, instead of growing closer to God. I shared yesterday as I was talking to uh, Dr. Chris Schroeder, my good friend and and partner in ministry, teammate on the staff at First Baptist, I said, you know, there's a tendency for all of us to seek God's hand, what he can do for us, rather than to seek his face, just him, just his presence, just spending time with him, um, just because we love him. The key question in the book of Job, does Job fear God for nothing. Does Job fear God and serve God? That was Satan's question to God, because he loves because he loves God or because God does things for him? And this was the insinuation in Satan's question. Hey, hey God, the only reason that Job serves you, fears you, uh, uh, follows you is because you take care of him. You bless him. You're his sugar daddy. But if you take away the sugar, if you quit providing for him in all these wonderful ways, Job was very wealthy and he had blessings galore. You quit, you take back and pull back the blessings and Job will curse you to your face. Why? Because Job doesn't really love you. He just loves the things you give him. And Job proved through the book of Job, through all the, the turmoil he went through, and it was terrible turmoil. I think outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, Job suffered the most of any human being. And it was terrible, but Job passed the test, and although Job had tons of questions, Job feared God, served God, and followed God for nothing. He did that all just because he loved him. And see, here's the thing. When we pray, we draw near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it's not so much that God just answers our prayer and does uh, this and this and this and this that we ask him for. Lord, provide a job. Lord, bring healing. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. It's that we draw near to God and we get to know him better and we experience the, the closeness of his presence uh, As for me, the psalmist says, the nearness of God is my good. I desperately need God to be near to me. Lord, it's not what you can do for me, although God can do great things. 
God is our refuge and strength, Psalm 46 says, a very present help when we're in trouble. But here's the thing about the Lord. Sometimes, as the song says, sometimes he calms the storm. We're in a terrible storm. Lord, we need you to calm the storm. Sometimes he does that in answer to our prayer. But all the time he calms his child. And so he may say no, as he said to Paul. I'm not going to take this thorn away, Paul. But my grace is sufficient for you. And I will change your perspective. And I will help you in this situation to draw in my strength and to draw on my power, and to draw on my ability. Hey, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, in any situation, that doesn't mean that Philippians 4.13, I had a friend of mine in college, he said, you know, he was trying out for the football team, and he kept quoting Philippians 4.13, and I can make this tackle through him who strengthens me. I can kick this ball through him who strengthens me. Um. You know, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily bad, but that's not, that's not what the Scripture is saying. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so I can hit a 450-yard drive uh, on the golf course. Well, I can't. If God wanted me to, I could, uh, but obviously God doesn't want me to be very good at golf because I'm not very good at golf. But uh, here's the thing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means I can handle any situation I am in through the grace he supplies for me as I look to him, call on his name, and abide in him. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. We need to stay connected to him. And how do we abide in him? How do we walk in him? Prayer is key. As we talk to God, as we share our needs with God, as we share our fears with God, as we, as we just invite the Lord into every area of our lives, as we share our struggles with God. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had Johnny Erickson Tata on the program, and uh, I love the way Johnny talks to God because she talks to God as you would talk to a best friend. As somebody, uh, as the scripture says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that's the Lord Jesus, and he'll never leave us and never forsake us. She talks to God about her struggles. Lord, I can't do quadriplegia. I just can't do it. So your, your word says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So strengthen me, Lord, so I can do it. And you take it day at a time. You know, the other thing I think we have trouble with in the Christian life is we look too far down the road. All you have to live is today, and all I have to live is today. So let's live today. John Wooden, the legendary coach of the UCLA Bruins, he used to say this, make every day a masterpiece. Each day, just focus on each day. All you have is today. Tomorrow may never come. Yesterday is gone. Uh, you don't know when you're going to die, and, and this may, might be your last day. Make this day a masterpiece. And make, as we said yesterday, as Dr. Schroeder and I were talking, uh, focus today on how can I help another person? How can I make another person's load lighter? How can I get my mind off myself and on to helping others? And how do we do that? We depend upon the Lord's strength. We depend upon the Lord's power. Lord, help me see people the way you see them. 
And see, all that comes from prayer. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And people say, good grief, how can I do that? Well, you pray without ceasing by first thing in the morning when you wake up, you call upon the Lord, you, you phone him, so to speak, and you never hang up the line. You just keep that line of communication open, and all day long you're just talking to God. As you're at work, you're talking to him, Lord, help me to do this well, help me to do that well. Lord, help me to be sensitive to people around me who need a, a word, a look, a touch. You know, Jesus would give that to people. He'd give them a word. He'd give them a look. He'd give them a touch. And uh, uh, that would encourage their hearts. And so I think about that as a pastor. Who can I uh, give a word to, a word of encouragement? God puts somebody on your heart. Send them a note. Send them a text. Uh, send them a letter. Give them a phone call. Just say, hey, I was thinking about you today, and I was praying for you. And, and maybe you share a verse of Scripture with them. You give them a word. You give them a look. You know, look people in the eye. Uh, the eyes are the windows of the soul. And look them in the eyes and, and uh, communicate just through that look that, hey, I know you're going through something. I uh, don't know what it is, but everybody's going through something. And, and I, uh, I care about you. And God knows and God cares. And a touch. There's, there's power in a touch. Uh, shaking somebody's hand warmly, putting your arm around them, uh, seeing somebody who just needs a hug. I remember uh, this was years ago. Uh, an older lady came to our church for a Christmas program, and I like to hug people. I'm not naturally a hugger. I learned how to be a hugger, but uh, I s s turned around, and this, this older lady was there, and I just uh, hadn't seen her before, gave her a hug, and just welcomed her to our church. She was from a different city, and she wrote me, and she said, you have no idea how that ministered to me. She said, I'd lost my husband and, and I was wondering, am I ever going to be uh, held and hugged again? And she said, that was on my heart and you hugged me. And she said, that was directly from the Lord. And she writes me periodically, once a, every year or so, and she reminds me of that date. That was back in, uh, I don't know, 2009, something like that and uh, how God answered her prayer and ministered to her through that touch. Hey, a word, a look, and a touch. God wants to use you, and he wants to use me, but he can't use us unless we're connected to him. And how do we connect with him? Through prayer. You're listening to Real Truth for Today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and I will look forward to uh, coming back after the break to talk more about prayer. And We're going to be taking your calls in this program. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. There's a culture war raging in America, and like it or not, we're in the battle. Sandy Rios, host of Sandy Rios in the Morning. For 40 plus years, American Family Association has been fighting for biblical values in America. We've been here to shine the light of Christ into a dark world and to stand against the evil of the day. And by God's grace, we're making a difference. One vital way that you can join forces with us is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. The charitable gift annuity will benefit you and help ensure AFA is in the fight for years to come. You can learn more about charitable annuities and other financial products at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. 
the AFA Foundation, the Financial Stewardship Division of the American Family Association. The founding fathers of this country, 90% of them were very serious Christians. There were many pastors, theologians. Sandy Rios. At that time, it wasn't mutually exclusive to be a politician and a theologian or to fight for your country. Now is our time to stand for those biblical principles America's founding fathers treasured. Sandy Rios in the Morning, weekdays at 7 Central on American Family Radio. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Preborn celebrates that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Roe has been responsible for the slaughter of over 63 million babies. Now the decision to abort a child will be left in the hands of the states, and sadly, abortions will continue in the most liberal states. Over the past 16 years, Preborn has positioned their clinics in the top abortion cities where 50% of abortions occur. Preborn's work of saving babies' lives continues at an even greater level as they save babies' lives and defend their centers from the radical hate groups who want to shut them down. Preborn's response is dependent on you, the pro-life community. Be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. $28 sponsors one ultrasound and $140 will help to rescue five babies' lives. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. We're talking about the subject of prayer. I've been looking through and and reading this book, 40 Questions About Prayer by Joseph Herod, a great book uh, to to answer and and help us understand this issue of prayer. Prayer is such an important practice in the Christian life. Listen, you're never going to grow the way you should. I'm never going to grow the way I should unless we learn how to pray. The disciples never asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to preach, but they did ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, because they saw that Jesus was a man of prayer. And Jesus spent a long time in prayer talking to his father. I love this definition in the book, uh, 40 Questions About Prayer by Dr. Joseph Herod. Uh, this definition from uh, John Bunyan, the uh, British Baptist uh John Bunyan, 1628 to 1688 were the years of his life, but he defined prayer this way. Prayer is a sincere sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to the word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. Now that's a mouthful, but it includes a lot of things. And uh, people say, well, who do we pray to? Do we pray to God? Do we pray to Jesus? Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Um, Well, God is one, 
one God in three persons. And uh, the technical uh, answer to that question, uh, are we praying to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit? We pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But is it okay to pray a direct prayer to Jesus? Sure. Uh, the Bible tells us that. Uh, Stephen prayed to Jesus. Um, is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit, praying always in the Spirit? And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, uh, pray in the Spirit. Yes, we can do that. But primarily, we're, we're voicing our prayer to the Lord, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And Jesus gave us the model prayer, the uh, prayer that uh, is often used just as to just to repeat, but here is the background of the model prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said in Matthew six, "But when, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition." Uh, as the Gentiles do, uh, so I uh, lost my place here, when you do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then in this way, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that is the model for prayer. Well, we are very excited to uh, welcome to the program Dr. Joseph Herod. He's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He wrote the marvelous book, 40 Questions About Prayer. So, uh, Dr. Herod, welcome to Real Truth for Today. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, you're very, you're very welcome. And I have to tell you, I just love this book. I love the way you... Uh, you set it up. I like the fact that uh, you're very uh, direct with the answers to the questions, and uh, I think this is uh, this is a must for new believers, especially to help them in this often misunderstood and and uh, often considered mysterious subject, uh, the subject mm-hmm. of prayer. So, so what prompted you to write this, Doctor Herod? Yeah, well, thank you very much for the for the encouraging words. That means a lot because I I wrote this book with a variety of believers in mind, and, and uh, what prompted this is really two decades of my own uh, experiences of prayer, really a lifetime of prayer, but really my own uh, questions that that I have, questions that students have asked me questions that I've encountered in my own life, in my own uh, practice and struggles with prayer, and questions that folks at church have asked over the years. And so uh, this was very much motivated by a desire to serve Christians in the church. And if it's useful for students in the classroom, great. Um, But my primary area is uh, to help Christians grow in the practice of discipleship. Amen. Well, here's what I found. It's a it's a not a scholarly book per se, so it's not like oh this is for highbrows, but it's written in a in a fashion that scholars would say, well this is well researched. It's got good footnotes. It's not just it's not Max Lucado. 
uh, writing about <laughs> prayer. And so, uh, sure. so I thought it hit both audiences really well. It's very easy to understand. And I, I do think in uh, our day and age where people's attention spans aren't real long, that the chapters being relatively short and to the point with the question was very, very helpful. And so, well, the, the 40 question series with, with Kriegel is a really helpful series. And uh, I was very thankful to be uh, asked to contribute in that, in that series because I have benefited uh, in many ways from some of the other volumes. On, they have volumes on deacons and elders and um, sort of the end times and uh, heaven and hell and the Great Commission and a variety of topics that really prompt a lot of questions. And so the, the series itself, I would just commend to you and your readers um, as, as something worth, you know, building up in a library uh, for those who are inquisitive and want to go deeper, but want an accessible entry point in there. Yeah, very good. I appreciate that. Um that that comment well let me let me get into some of the questions with you dr Haird. so here's a common one and and your questions are very common which is good uh praying in jesus name lots of people okay so is that like i i put that on any prayer is that Mm. like a lucky rabbit's foot what does Mm -hmm. it mean to pray in jesus name well let me let me start with a story there was there was a sunday night when i was preaching many years ago and I got done, and like many churches, was standing at the back door shaking hands, and you have the normal, well done, good job, uh, even from folks who were, you know, kind of maybe snoozing during the sermon a little bit. And uh, One particular senior adult lady came up and whispered in my ear, you did a good job, but I wish you would have actually prayed. And I immediately thought, well, what in the world is she talking about? And, and so I said, well, ma'am, we... We prayed several times, and she said, well, but you didn't say in Jesus' name, so you never really prayed. Uh-huh. And, and of course, I went out to dinner with some friends and my wife, and it's kind of stewed over that one negative comment, and he thought oh, to myself, well, find me a place in the Bible where, you know, the disciples and the apostles tagged that on. And, and, and then, you know, it hit me, you know, an hour later. What she meant, uh, and this lady, by the way, is with the Lord now and is a just was a dear prayer warrior. Um, what she meant is, you know, being intentional about recognizing the Lord's uh, presence and acknowledging the fact that as Christians, Jesus is our intercessor and our mediator, and none of us dares to approach God in an unmediated way. We come through Jesus. Now, she also meant saying the phrase, in Jesus' name, uh, which, as I indicate in the chapter, you, you're not going to find that in the earliest, in, in the New Testament manuscripts or in the uh, you know, documents of prayers recorded among the, the you know, Christians outside the New Testament in the ancient church. But what the way... I think it, it's best to say, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name, is to consciously acknowledge whether you articulate the words or not, and I'd say there's no harm in saying in Jesus' name. There's, there's no harm in saying that. But to recognize that the petitions we bring to the Father, we bring because Jesus 
has made a way for us to approach the Father. We're united to Christ in faith. He is our, our one mediator, and our access to the Father is through Jesus Christ always. And so it's to consciously pray in an awareness of that. Uh, and, and I think that helps us to, it, it can help us to avoid piling up uh, a lot of selfish requests. You know, when we start to ask for selfish things and then remind ourselves, I'm praying in Jesus' name, would Jesus have me pray this? Um, or does this request square with something Jesus would have me ask? Am I asking uh, to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him? Or am I asking for something that maybe is frivolous here? And uh, so I think it has a, a, a multiple approach there. But it's really consciously praying with an awareness that all of our requests come through Jesus. Amen. Well, we had uh, right before you got on the broadcast, uh, Doctor Herod, we talked about the the Lord's Prayer, and so many churches, mm. um, you know, will re- let's let's all repeat the Lord's Prayer. Um, yeah. Now, I, I've always been taught and uh, understood the the Lord gave that prayer as a model, mm-hmm. much more so than just repeat this. So, yeah. how do you see that? It's a both and. So there is. Um, there is a long tradition that goes back to the end of the first century. So we, we have the New Testament documents, the Gospels, the Epistles, and those are written in the, in the mid-first century. And we get to the, you know, the end of the first century. Most, most scholars would see the book of Revelation somewhere by 95 A.D., give or take. Well, there are other documents that are not Scripture, but that were written by Christian communities, and there's one called the Didache, uh, or the Teaching of the Twelve. And it's sort of a church handbook to help organize churches. And in there, uh, the authors of that handbook include the text of the Lord's Prayer. So we know that there were Christians in the first century who who were reciting the Lord's Prayer as part of their public worship by the end of the first century. And so uh, somewhere between 90 and 120 A.D. So the tradition of reciting it is long. But I use an analogy that I've heard from, from several teachers over the years, and it's a, it's a musical analogy, so maybe some listeners will, will see this as helpful, that the Lord's, player, the Lord's Prayer is a lot like uh, a lead sheet in jazz. And so if you've ever played music, um, if, you know, if you're singing from a hymnal in church, there's no real improvisation. The notes are there. There are four parts. Everyone has their part. You sing your part. However, if you've ever gone to a coffee shop or to a, a, maybe a local college and heard a jazz concert, uh, there's a there's a lead sheet that has the chord changes in the key and the melody line, but the instrumentalists are free to improvise around that theme. And that's one way of, of sort of thinking about the Lord's Prayer from a kind of a different angle, is that it has all the things we need to pray 
and to pray well, an acknowledgement uh, of the Father's uh, nearness, you know, our Father, um, who's in heaven, His majesty, um, you know, hallowed be your name, the holiness of His name, whether we use the exact phrasing or we improvise. And so throughout the history of the church, every generation of Christians have found the Lord's Prayer indispensable for their own prayer life, whether they're reciting it or using it sort of as a template from which to improvise. And so I think you can, uh, I think we can honor the Lord by the public reading and recitation of Scripture. And in fact, in the book, I, I say, I, I might be wrong on this, but, but I suspect that the Lord's Prayer is probably the widest quoted part of Scripture because it's recited by hundreds of millions of believers from a variety of Christian backgrounds daily. Mm-hmm. Probably more well-known than something like John 3.16 or Psalm 23. Uh, now, surely not everyone who's repeating the words uh, is moved by the theology or maybe even understands to whom they're praying, but for those who, who know the Lord and who, who want to honor the Father, the Lord's Prayer is a tremendous guide. And I think it gives us great flexibility. In fact, I, uh, I think I mentioned this in the chapter. Um, we see our Lord praying parts of the Lord's Prayer later in Matthew's Gospel in Gethsemane in Matthew 26. As he asks the Father, um, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he's, remember, you know, in Matthew 6, he's taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there are certainly elements of this prayer that Jesus would never have prayed, right? He had no need to pray, (laughs) forgive, you know, forgive me of my trespasses, you know, because he had no trespasses. He was without sin. That is for our benefit. But there are other elements that were clear um, in, in his uh, his own prayer life. Yes, very good. I appreciate that. It's a great answer. Well, we're talking to Dr. Joseph Herod about his book, 40 Questions About Prayer. I have found this to be extremely helpful. I would encourage pastors to pick up a copy of this. Uh, this would make for a great sermon series, not for 40 weeks, but to pick out certain ones and, and to share with your congregation. Well, you're listening to Real Truth for today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. And we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back uh, to talk more to Dr. Joseph Herod. Don't go away. When you hear this... This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Forget about Facebook. The last 10 days we've been banned twice and is unbanning a word. They put us under the ban. Christians and conservatives don't need your YouTube. Banned one day, 
banned again. AFR programs are now live streaming on the AFA streaming app. Now you can get shows like today's issues straight from the source. Put back on the next. Just say unbanned. Unbanned. Just search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. You can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. We are not allowed to have a U-Haul that comes to heaven with us. Anna Marie Travers has an AFA Foundation charitable gift annuity. The Lord has given us uh, things that we can uh, acquire, uh, but you know, everything will stay here. And I'm so thankful for, for the American Family uh, Annuity Fund where we can give some to something that we so highly value. Through the AFA Foundation, a charitable gift annuity provides a monthly income as well as a legacy of support for the American Family Association. I cannot uh, recommend a, a better person than uh, they have at AFA to help you with getting your annuity fund. It was so easy. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800 326 4543, extension 345. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. We're talking to Dr. Joseph Herod. Uh, he's written the new book, 40 Questions About Prayer. So, Dr. Herod, I have a question for you, and, and this is one of the questions in the book, and it, in it, uh, dovetails on the Lord's Prayer, for if you forgive men for their transgressions, mm. Jesus said, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So here's my question. I've been in a series on grace, and I, yeah. read, a, I read a book from a hyper-grace guy, and you know the hyper-grace teaching is you're already forgiven, so you don't need to ask for forgiveness. And mm -hmm. so how do you answer that in light of what Jesus said? They would say this doesn't apply to believers, Matthew yeah. 6, 14 and 15. Uh, what would be your answer to that? Yeah, well, um, I think that uh, with respect, Jesus is talking to those who are his followers, and he's this teaching follows uh, you know, the prayer itself. And I think that the larger picture of the, uh, I'll, 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 you know, say this for readers, if those who, there's, there's very few issues in the area of biblical studies that aren't debated. Uh, and so whatever I say, there's going to be folks who disagree with me. And so that's, that's part of the, uh, the, the life on this. But 
I'm convinced that the Sermon on the Mount is applicable to believers now and uh, not only for some future state. And so since it's applicable to believers now, then its teaching would be something that we would want to seek to apply. So as, as we're thinking about this, the issue of forgiveness, um, part of the way I would answer that criticism is that, yes, it's true that we have experienced forgiveness from the Lord, and, and what a grace that is. The fact that we can even pray is part of God's grace, that he's restored communication um, even after our first parents' transgression and our inherited guilt from that, right, that, that God would allow us to call upon his name uh, despite our fallenness and our frailties is grace itself. Now, there's also, though, the relational reality um, that sin, continued sin, willful sin, disobedience, is a transgression against not just some universal law, but against our Heavenly Father. And from a human analogy, uh, if one of my children uh, you know, transgresses, I, I expect them to make that right. My, my love doesn't cease. I, I don't cease being their father. Uh, I, I may get angry. I may be agitated. Um, I, I may just be uh, laughing at the frailties of, of you know, teenage boys, but uh, I don't cease to love them. However, I do teach them that reconciliation and relational wholeness needs to happen, and the way that happens is through asking forgiveness. And, uh, and so I think that relational dynamic is in play. Believers, when we sin, we dishonor the Father. We violate His commands. And, and so seeking forgiveness. Now, seeking forgiveness of others and being willing to issue forgiveness to others is what I think is, is primarily in view here. Um, and it's, it's an ironic situation that sometimes we find ourselves in where we will ask God to forgive us while we are unwilling to forgive others. And I think that the heart of Christ is teaching us compassion. Even our Lord demonstrated forgiveness to those who were crucifying him. And as we, uh, that, that's a radical sort of forgiveness, okay? Um, even when they weren't asking for it, even when they, we, we would say, didn't deserve it because their hearts were unpenitent, you know, they, they, they pursued this. Uh, our Lord teaches us a radical sort of forgiveness. And so I do think that um, we can, what we must, I think Jesus is teaching us here that we must express and articulate forgiveness. And that is hard in many cases. I'm thinking of specific instances where I've been sinned against, or I'm aware of great sin. Um, but Jesus is teaching us a heart of compassion. 
Yes, amen. Well, I think uh, I think bitterness and unforgiveness is the, one of the key sins in the church, and it will. Mm. Uh, I tell people all the time, listen, if you don't get that out, your Christian life is not going to soar. Yeah, you're, you're going to stagnate, and uh, and it, it you know bitterness is a cancer of the soul, and it really destroys. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Doctor Herod, let me ask you this: changing gears on you a little bit. Sure. So, <clears throat> a lot of people talk about praying in the spirit. And they mean you're speaking in tongues. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have not heard anybody talk about, well, it's not an Acts 2 type of tongue, which is a known language that people can understand. It's a Mm -hmm. a prayer language. So how do you answer that in the book? Yeah, so I I deal with a couple of different issues related to the Holy Spirit and prayer. And uh, so first, I'll say that the Corinthian correspondence does seem to indicate that the the Spirit's presence in some way um, may uh, may allow believers to communicate in in a tongue. Now, almost always, from uh, my reading of the New Testament, tongues are human languages that are communicable and understandable by other humans. And so, I, when I read Acts two. Uh, the miracle is that the gospel is being proclaimed in a way that folks from uh, Parthenia and Bithynia and Asia and, and other regions who are gathered in Jerusalem can understand. And so they're hearing and, and able to, un- it's understandable human languages. Um, now, what I think, uh, the, the two passages that actually talk about praying in the Spirit in the New Testament are in the book of Jude and also in the book of Ephesians. And so we have, you know, obviously uh, two different apostolic witnesses to this. When Paul talks about praying in the Spirit, um, it, in, being in the Spirit for Paul is a big deal. We see it throughout his epistles. Uh, and it's it's... The best way I could summarize it would be to say praying in the Spirit is consciously seeking the Spirit's leadership that's promised to us in the New Testament, right? So all those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. The fruit of the Spirit uh, is articulated as contrasted with the the deeds of the flesh in Galatians. Um, The Spirit's uh, the Spirit of adoption, and He confirms God's relational nearness to us in Galatians and in Romans. And and so in Jude and in Ephesians, I think to pray in the Spirit means uh, to pray consistently with the Spirit's leadership, which is never contrary to Scripture, although it may take us into particular directions. Maybe here's an example. I remember being traveling, and I was at a coffee shop very early one Saturday morning, standing in line, long line at a coffee shop on a Saturday morning, and I became immediately aware, there was no audible voice, but I became immediately aware that I needed to offer to buy coffee for the person behind me. Now, there's no New Testament verse that says, thou shalt buy Starbucks, <laughs> uh, nor anything else. And, and you know, the, wouldn't you know, the guy wanted like four shots of espresso, and he like a $9 <laughs> cup of coffee. What are you doing, Lord? Right. So the general principle is I need to always be ready to give a witness for the hope that's within me and always ready to speak the name of Christ. 
But in that given instance, I think the Spirit led me uh, to, to, through the particular means, right? The Spirit made me aware this is an occasion where you need to fulfill this biblical principle, and it's going to be through you buying this guy a cup of coffee. Well, come to find out, young man was, uh, I've never met him before, never seen him since, been, been more than a decade. He was preparing for ministry, and I got a chance to talk with him, pray with him, encourage him in a difficult northeastern city. Um, and so I was aware, I, was, I think I would say that as I was standing in line praying, I was praying in the Spirit. Uh, I was praying for something consistent with God's revealed will and the Spirit's immediate leadership um, in that. And so I, rather than work, try to work out the logistics of a private prayer language, I think first it's walking in conscious obedience to the Spirit's immediate leadership. Amen. I like that. That's a good, uh, that's a good so. definition, a good answer. Okay, let's talk about this, because you bring this up in the book. Uh, yeah. Why does God seem absent in prayer? Mm. You know, that's a, yeah. that's a hard one for a lot of people, because especially yeah. when it comes to healing. You know, I'm praying for my, mm-hmm. my mother, my child, my friend, whatever. I, I yeah. need God to bring healing. And so often God doesn't, and... Mm-hmm. You know, the cry of the psalmist, how long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face forever? Why, yeah, why right. is that? Well, you know, there's, a, um, there's an older book from the end of the 19th century by Austin Phelps, uh, P-H-E-L-P-S, called The Still Hour. And uh, Professor Phelps uh, wrote that book late in his life in ministry, and uh, you, you know, readers can find it online for free out there. It's open source these days. Professor Phelps argued that the experience of absence of God is, is actually sort of the default presence for most believers for much of their life, and that a sense of the Lord's nearness is often elusive. Now, I don't know if he's right or not, but, but I would say, as I look back at the long tenor of now, oh goodness, uh, close to 30 years of, of my life as a Christian, there are many times when I can recount the Lord's nearness and, and sweetness, but there's also a lot of times when, by faith, I'm trusting that God is near, uh, even when he's silent. And so, you know, one of the things I try to do throughout the book is weave in the the wise leadership of Christians from other generations. And um, so I study church history. I read pretty widely in church history. I teach church history courses. One generation of believers, they're not the best generation, but they thought very deeply on this topic, are the Puritans, those believers in England and New England in the 1600s and 1700s, and uh, there are a number of Puritan authors who took up this topic in their sermons or in in really some some really helpful long treatises, and I would commend readers, you know, it's worth studying to think on this. But I think sometimes God seems absent in prayer. Going back to your prior question— and, and to our Lord's warning, because we harbor sin. 
Um, and we ought not be surprised that when we are walking apart from the Lord, um, we don't experience nearness. Now, uh, the psalmist addresses this, right? Um, when I regarded iniquity in my heart, you would not hear me. And so in the book, I get into, you know, what does it mean to regard iniquity? Not, it can't mean just that I have it or God would never be present to any believer, right? It's, right. But to regard iniquity is to cherish it, uh, to nurture it, and, 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 you know, to try to feed the, uh, feed the sin in some way. Uh, Peter reveals particularly that husbands may be liable uh, to have their prayers hindered in the way that they treat their, their wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a particular thing. And, and so the scriptures give us warrant to think there are things that we can do that relationally hinder our nearness to God. God hasn't moved. Um, we, we do. We are yes. volatile, changeable, frail, and, and, and fickle people, right? Um, but there's also a time, and this is where the Puritans are very helpful on this. Sometimes God seems to choose to withdraw a sense of nearness so that we'll seek him more. Mm. Yeah, I like that. That is, that is very good. I haven't thought about that before, but... Um... God wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to be close to him. And and, uh, the more we seek him, you seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Well, we've had a great conversation today with Dr. Joseph Herod. Dr. Herod, thank you for being my guest on the program. And I want to encourage everybody, pick up a copy of this 40 Questions About Prayer. Just type it into Google and it shows you where to get it. And uh, it will bless you and it will help you. And you can share this with younger believers. This is a great discipleship tool. And so, uh, so Dr. Herod, God bless you. God bless your ministry. Thank you for being on today. Well, you've been listening to Real Truth for today. And I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. I look forward to being with you tomorrow as we talk to Jim Simbola from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.